0: Welcome to a transforming word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on a Transforming Word.
1: I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he says, How? By the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. And so he said, This by commandment. God didn't give me an option. God didn't say, if you want to. He didn't say, Paul, I'd like you to be an apostle if you don't mind. And I would like to point that out to you and I. Everybody here has a calling. There's something God has commanded us to be. And that's something for all of us to consider. Are we being what God's commanded us to be? Paul said, I'm I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the commandment of God.
0: Sometimes it feels easier to stay quiet, stay below the radar in order to not cause arguments or to make waves. But God's commands are always directed at speaking the truth of the gospel in love. And as Pastor Bill will explain today, they're not requests. God will call you into difficult places to speak difficult conversations and to proclaim truth in the darkness. And though it may look frightening or overwhelming, God promises to be with you and give you strength and peace in that command. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word
1: the book of first Timothy is written by Paul. It falls underneath what we would call the pastoral epistles. So first and second Timothy, Titus, um, they're both pastors, Philemon, even um, these these letters are what people typically call pastoral epistles. As Paul was finishing his race, as he was kind of coming to the end of his time on earth, it seemed that what Paul did was turn his attention to raising up men that would be able to keep things going in his absence. As we get to the end of 2 Timothy, we'll see we're actually at the end of the apostle Paul's life. He knows that he's he's near death. And he spent quite a bit of time pouring into Timothy. He calls Timothy, and we'll see it in the study today, calls Timothy a a true son, considers him a son in the faith. And so that was a relationship Paul had with Timothy that Uh, He was like a son to him in the faith. It was someone that Paul was ministering down to and building up and raising up and encouraging him that he might be able to go out and do the work. It's been said that every believer should have a Paul and a Timothy. Um, Every Christian should have someone that's like a Paul to you, someone that you look up to, someone that's beyond where you are in the Lord, someone that's pouring down into you, and then everybody should have a Timothy, everybody should have someone that. And I'm looking to pour into this person. I'm, I'm speaking to them. I'm, I'm taking what I've learned and I'm, I'm seeking to pull someone along with me and take them further along. Everybody should be in one of those two places where I'm, I'm, I'm receiving, but I'm also able to give to someone else. Um, the time frame is, as this is written, um, it, it's definitely a time where the church is under attack in many areas. And you'll see in the way that the book lays out, Paul is encouraging timothy and one of the things that you'll notice um i I think about this when i read through the book of joshua over and over again what does god tell joshua what what does god keep reminding him be strong be courageous because to joshua seemed like he was scared um he must have been afraid and timid we see with timothy as paul is going to be ministering to him that it appears that timothy was kind of a timid guy and so paul who's not timid at all um, Paul is just bold and bad. Paul is constantly encouraging him to, you know, overcome some of those things. And so um, he's ministering to him. And, and um, I like uh, what I saw in John Corson's commentary is uh, he did his introduction to the book. And I want to lay out the, the chapters in this way. In chapter one, we'll learn about the church and its message. Um, and so the message of the church was under attack. And so as Paul is ministering to Timothy, he said, hey, this is the right message. And you got to be able to contend for it. You got to be able to fight for it. So in chapter one, we're dealing with the church and its message. And in the next chapter, chapter two and three, we'll be dealing with the church and its members. Um, So the men's role, the women's role, what are we doing as members of the body of Christ? How are we raising up leaders and those around us? In chapter four, we're looking at the church and its ministers, um, those that are serving and what they're to be doing, preaching the word, exhorting, rebuking, correcting, and all of those things. And um, then in chapter five, we're looking at the church and its ministry to itself, um, that we have a responsibility as a church to minister to ourselves, to minister to one another. And then in chapter six, we'll look at the church and its ministry to the world as we look outside of our walls. And so um, it's a nice little breakdown of first Timothy. And so we're going to start today in chapter one. Uh, I plan to cover uh, verses one through eleven. And so if you guys are looking at chapter one, first Timothy, chapter one, verse one, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope to Timothy, a true son in the faith grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And so let's go back up. There's a whole lot said in those first couple verses. First of all, Paul is, is he's given just the opening salutation of the book and he lets them know who he is, Paul, an apostle. Why does he do that? Paul's not boasting. Paul's not saying, I want you guys to know that I'm something significant. I'm something great. Paul was constantly under attack. Um, his doctrine, his teaching, his methods. And so Paul would let people know right up front that, hey, hey, I'm Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, not of my own accord, not of my own will. I didn't make myself an apostle. I was going on about my way, as a matter of fact, and God came and got me. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. God called me. God put me in this place. And so um, he starts off many of his letters like that, just letting them know Paul, an apostle, a called out one, a sent out one. But I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says, how? By the commandment of God, our savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. And so he said, "This by commandment. God didn't give me an option. God didn't say, if you want to. He didn't say, Paul, I'd like you to be an apostle if you don't mind. And I would like to point that out to you and I. Everybody here has a calling. There's something God has commanded us to be. And that's something for all of us to consider. Are we being what God's commanded us to be? Paul said, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the commandment of God. Um, God didn't ask me. God didn't give me an option. God said, this is what I'm telling you to do. And so every believer, every Christian has a call from God, something God is calling us to be. He's not asking you. He's not saying, I want you to think about it for months and years. Um, I want you to pray really long about it. There's something God is saying, I want you to do this. And so I encourage everybody here to be praying about what that is. Um, If you don't already know, um, one thing that you can do if you're like, man, I'm really trying to hear clear from the Lord what I'm called to do, what's my specific thing, make sure that the general will of God, that you're walking that out. That's the best path to get on to discern God's plan for you is the things that are already known, the general will of God, that you would already be walking in those things in obedience. Um, You'll be moving in the right direction to understand what God's Overall plan. So, Paul, I'm an apostle by the commandment of God, our Savior. It's interesting here is usually we get Jesus as the Savior, but in this verse it says God, our Savior, and that's a reference to God the Father. And it's just you know it, it's distinct because most times as you read through the Bible, we look at the word Savior it's in relation to Jesus Christ. But it's important to note that all three persons of the Trinity are active in salvation. It was God the Father in John 3:16 when it says that God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. It was the it was God the Father who looked down at the world and said, Man, they need help. I'm gonna send the Son. Jesus came down and did the, the work of dying um, that, that brought salvation, but God the Father was the one to put the put it into action. The Holy Spirit, they, they all have their part in the work of salvation. So God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. And here he just puts out puts forth that Jesus Christ is our hope. And I believe that for the believer, for the Christian, we should have a hope that's unlike what the world can possess, what the world can have. Um, Anybody here ever, and I guess I should explain Christian hope, because it's a little different than the world's hope. And for you guys that have kids, your kids are probably hoping for stuff. If you got kids like mine, they're throwing hints at what they're hoping for. My son is grabbing sales papers and, you know, just saying, wow, dad, that's really cool right there. Wow, it's only cost I said, man, you can't say only cost. You, you unemployed. You know, when you unemployed, you can't say with something only cost. But, you know, our kids are hoping, you know, that, that, that they're probably hoping all kinds of things. They don't know. It's not a certainty. They're just hoping. The Christian hope is not like that. If you're a Christian, I sure do. I, I pray that you're not hoping you go into heaven. that be terrible to just be like, I, I hope I'm going. You know, that's, that's not the hope that we have. We have a certainty, don't we? Don't we know that because Jesus died and he rose from the grave and we believed in him that we're going our hope it's a certainty. I know that when I die be the best day of my life when I get done dying, you know. It might not be fun dying, but when you get done dying for the believer, be the best thing ever happened to you. You're going to be with the Lord in his presence where there's no sorrow, no suffering, no pain, none of that, right? That's our hope. We're going to die one day and be with the Lord forever to be with him. We'll never sin again when we're with the Lord. Sin nature will be gone. I mean, that's the hope of the believer. When someone that we love that's a believer dies, we have that hope. We can have some comfort in knowing that they're with the Lord though. I know we're gonna miss them and I'm, I sorrow in that way, but I know they're saved. I know they're with the Lord. I know they're, I know they're in heaven and we can, we can rejoice in that hope. And so when he says here, Jesus Christ, our hope, do you have that hope? Is Jesus Christ your hope? Uh, because if you're hoping in something else, I guarantee you, you're let down. People that are hoping for something in this life, if you're hoping in your job, let, let somebody take your position. Your hope is gone. If you're hoping in some possession that you have, let something happen to your possession. If you're hoping in a relationship with a person, let something happen to that relationship. Then your hope is gone. It crumples up. But if your hope is in Jesus, it's constant. Right? Jesus won't change. Jesus doesn't decide tomorrow he don't like me no more. Jesus doesn't come off the Christ and take back that he died for me tomorrow. My hope is consistent. So it stabilizes the believer. We can be going through a rickety, ragged, wretched world, but we got this constant hope in who Jesus is that he is our hope. And so I just don't want to skip over that. When Paul says, I look at Paul's life, Paul is one of my heroes. And I look at what he went through and I look at the the trials. I look at how hard he went for the Lord. And Paul says, you know, Jesus, that's our hope. That's, that's, I mean, I believe that's how he was able to do a lot of what he did, that he had his hope in the right place. I'm hoping in Jesus. He went. If he was, Paul was hoping in the church. The church let Paul down. There were times where he, he stood up and they didn't stand with him. There are times where Paul's in jail saying, no one stood with me at that time church let him down. Leadership let him down. But his hope wasn't in them. It was in Jesus. There are times when, you know, the legal system let him down. He in jail for preaching the gospel and being trumped up charges. The legal system let Paul down, but his hope wasn't in the legal system. His hope was in Jesus. And so he was consistent. He was solid. He was able to move forward. If you're writing notes, I just want to give you a a couple other things. Jesus is our hope here in um, first Timothy chapter one, verse one. Write down Ephesians 2.14. I'm not going to go to these verses, but in Ephesians 2.14, Jesus is our peace. And I know that some of us can use that. Um, some of us can just use, I mean, peace. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our peace. And then write down Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Jesus is our life. And so real quick, um, in 1 Timothy 1.1, Jesus Christ is our hope. In Ephesians 2.14... Jesus is our peace. And in Colossians 3, 4, Jesus is our life. And I bring those other three things up that you put it all together and Jesus is everything. It's all about him. That's where our focus should be. That's where our worship should go. That's that's who always the glory belongs to. It's all about Jesus and what he did for us. He's our hope. He's our peace. He's our life. Everything wraps up. In Jesus Christ. And we never want to forget that. And so that's Paul's opening of his letter, verse two. Who's the letter written to? We said it already. It's to Timothy. And then he says, a true son in the faith. If Paul says a true son, what does that tell us there might have also been? Some false sons, right? You don't have to distinguish a true son if there weren't some false sons. Later on, Paul is going to say that in another place where Paul sends Timothy out in his name. He says, I have nobody else like-minded where I could just, I I know if I send Timothy to be just like I went. And so Timothy, we'll see, just had a very special relationship. Paul trusted him. He loved him. He poured into him. And Timothy obviously was very receptive and open and receiving the things that Paul was teaching Because Paul would later say that I have nobody else like-minded. Of all the people that I poured into, of all the people that I've spent time with, of all the churches that I've started, I got nobody else like Timothy. Paul and Timothy have a very special relationship relationship. And so he says, Timothy, a true son in the faith. There are people that use that phrase with their friends. This is a, she's a true friend. What's that saying? You got some false friends, you know? Here we got a, you know, Paul is distinguishing Timothy. He's a true son to him, a son in the faith. Um, He wasn't Paul's biological son, but he was a son in the faith. He was someone that Paul was pouring into and ministering down to him and building him up like a son. He was a true son. And again, I would just point this out within the body of Christ. These are the kind of relationships that we're to be developing one with another. Um, There should be relationships where you're pouring down and there's a relationship where you're being poured down into. And we have to be open for these exchanges. we got to be open for these kind of relationship. God wants us to have tight, intimate family type relationships within the church. In one place, Jesus even said, who is my mother and my brother and my sister? He said, those who do the will of my father in heaven. And so something so unique that happens within the body of Christ is though we have biological family, God says, hey, the family of God is at that's that's another level. But the family of God is your family. Um, The family of God is who you got a family now. That's a forever family. It's an eternal family. It's the family of God. It's all those that have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, that have recognized him as God. Uh, The rest of verse two: grace, mercy and peace from God, our father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Paul's typical greeting in the New Testament was grace and peace. Um, here he throws in mercy, grace, mercy, and peace. And I want to just, each word real quick, grace is God's unmerited favor. God giving us what we don't deserve says, so God's grace, God's mercy. Everybody know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is when you, you sped by the police officer, you saw him see you, and then he let you keep going. Anybody felt that before? Did that feel Good. I, feel, I don't know, I mean, I've seen y'all do it, you know, but it does. I've, I've actually done that where I I mean I sped by and I look and I'm like, that's the highway patrol. And I just come off the gas and then they just go on about that, oh man. Whoo, you know, mercy. Uh didn't get what I deserved. I earned a ticket, didn't get it. God's merciful towards us. And so grace, God has given us what we don't deserve. Do we deserve Jesus? We don't deserve Jesus. Do we deserve heaven? I don't deserve heaven. Do I deserve to have God's peace and his favor and and 24-hour access to him via prayer? Do I deserve any of that? No, but by grace, we have it. So we're not saved because we're great. We're saved because God's gracious and he's good to us. He loved us when we weren't lovely. Um, Grace, mercy, Um, what I should have got, didn't get what I should have got. I should have been punished. Uh, There's a lot of things that I should have got from God, Um, but I didn't get those things. I got mercy. Um, and as we're recipients of these things, right, this ought to characterize the believer. You've been a recipient of grace, you should be a gracious person. You've been a recipient of mercy, you should be a merciful person. And the result of it, he says, grace and mercy and peace. It's because I got God's grace, give me what I don't deserve, and because I've experienced his mercy, not giving what I do deserve, that I'm able to experience peace. I got peace with God. Not because I'm a great God, because I got a great God. And so, if we take on these characteristics, we'll have the same thing between us. If I become gracious and extending to people what they don't deserve and I'm merciful and not penalizing people as what they deserve and not treating them according to what they've done. God says, you know, you have peace with people. Um, you'll be a peaceful person. Grace and mercy. Grace, mercy and peace. And who's it coming from? From God, the father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I forgot what book I was reading, but it pointed this out. And I just want to read it to you real quick. It says that in the New Testament, the word Savior, we'll see it 22 times. And then it added that in the New Testament, we'll see the word Lord 522 times. And the idea was this, because most people want a Savior, but not a lot of people want a Lord. Um, Most people, Jesus Christ is my Savior. I just know I'm saved from hell. I'm not going to hell no more. Everybody wants that. Nobody want to go to hell if if you believe it exists. But you know what people don't want? I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want a Lord. I want I want somebody all of my business. I want to my telling me who I can be with, who I can't be, with, where I can go, what I can do for fun. People don't want a Lord. But it just was interesting. The guy that I was reading this from said, wow, if, it, if you have to pay attention to that, if the word savior is there 22 times and it's a big deal, we all want a savior. Right. But the word Lord is there five hundred twenty two times. What's God saying? What's he saying? What's he want to be? What's he saying to us? Yeah, that, that I, and I believe it works out this way. Some, some people have said it like this. If Jesus is not Lord of all, what is it? He's not Lord at all. Um, I've heard that many times. I do believe this. It's hard to believe that Jesus is the Savior of a life that doesn't demonstrate that he's the Lord also. The Lord and Savior. You see that coupled together many times. That I'll see people that are clearly not under the Lordship of Jesus. They do whatever they want, but then they claim The savior status. And I think that's a slippery place to be living in. If you're living in a position where Jesus can't tell you what to do, the word of God can't dictate to you how you live your life. The word of God can't redirect you on where you go, what you do, how you live. Then Jesus isn't Lord. And if he's not Lord, I don't know that you can claim him as savior because the evidence of belief is submission and surrender. The evidence that you have believed in Jesus is it's a submitted life. It's a surrendered life. Um, it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that begins to make you hate what you used to love. Those are the evidences that God lives on the inside, that you become a believer of Jesus Christ, that you belong to him. And so if the evidence of submission, surrender, conviction and transformation aren't there. I think that many people falsely believe that he's their savior. How many people have died and stood before the Lord expecting to be saved and not be saved? I mean, can we, we don't even know. But we do know in Matthew 7 that we got a very clear insight. God did this for a reason. There were some people that showed up on that day, right? Matthew 7 said they showed up. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of law. That means you guys continued to live in sin. I never knew you. And they started telling him what they were doing for him, right? They started saying, but but Lord, we did many wonders and we prophesied. We were speaking for you. We did many wonders in your name. We did, we did wonderful works in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. We never had a relationship. I was never the Lord of your life. And so I look at that and I think, man, why were they serving? Like, what was the motivation for the effort and the work that they were doing if he wasn't the Lord? If they were going to go on and live a life of sin? We'll never know. But it should. I mean, I read those things and it should at least be a warning, right? That um, I want Jesus to be the Lord. And then I know he's my savior. Amen. Lord and Savior. And so I just wanted to point that out to you. And then we'll keep going. Now, look at verse three. Again, Paul speaking. Um, This is opening of the letter of first Timothy. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some there that they teach no other doctrine. So in this first chapter, Paul is saying, look, I I put Timothy here in Macedonia because people were coming in and teaching false doctrine. I got to talk about this. One of the ways that the enemy seeks to infiltrate the church and ruin the work that God wants to establish in the church is to create groups that look just like the church, but they have a message that doesn't line up with what God says is the message to the church. And so one thing that Paul is telling Timothy is, hey, I got he's sending Timothy to areas said, we got to the one thing I'm always combating and always having to go after is fixing the message. The message is messed up all over. And so something that, you know, we've heard this in the world. If you can't beat them, what? Join them. Satan. That's what Satan do. Satan said, I can't beat this church. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Satan said, I'll just join it. And I'll have people put up things that look just like church. And we'll sing songs that sound just like church. But I'll take that message and I'll jack that message up. It won't be the message of the church of Jesus Christ. It'll be a different message. And there'll be people that come and, and they're just listening. They take it in and their lives are not transformed. And there's no evidence of God living in them. But they thought they had church. And so here, at this time, there were people coming. There was a particular doctrine that was coming in. The doctrine that they were fighting against was people coming and saying that just believing in Jesus alone, that's not enough. You can't be saved that easy. You got to do some works. You got to do some things to be saved. You got to believe in Jesus and you got to do these other things over here. And they call this group the Judaizers. They wanted to mix some of the Jewish traditions and the Jewish law with Christianity. It was just... It was just too hard for them to swallow that somebody could just believe and that was it. But that's how, that's how simple the gospel is made, that you could just believe. And again, there'd be works that would come behind, but you could just believe to enter in. And that was just they were having a hard time. They were coming up with different versions of the gospel. You see the same thing in the book of Galatians where Paul went to Galatia, led people to Christ. They were saved. They were walking in the fruit of salvation. Paul leaves and in his absence, these group, the Judaizers come in, jack everything up. Paul has to go back and he says, you know, he says, "Um, oh, foolish Galatians who bewitched you. I mean, you guys have been bamboozled in my absence. Who did this to you while I've been gone? And because they had started going after this other thing. And so what we want to be careful of as believers, I think it's really important that we know what the gospel is, what it isn't, so that we make sure that we're believing the right gospel and we're all called to preach it. So as we're out there preaching the gospel, that we be preaching the right gospel. So he says here, I urge you. When I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So the job that Paul's given Timothy is that I want you to charge them, right? I'm not telling you to suggest to them. Timothy's in a place as a minister of the gospel of God. You're going to do some difficult stuff, Timothy. You're going to charge them. No, don't teach that no more.
0: First Timothy four twelve says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. This verse was an empowering statement that Paul gave to Timothy as he was starting out as a pastor. He was encouraging the younger man to remember who he was representing and to allow his character to be a witness despite the challenges he faced ahead. This is a call for you too. let your integrity and character speak for itself as you seek to follow God through your whole life. May this verse be an encouragement to you as you go through the rest of your day. Are you needing prayer right now? Please reach out to us. We'd be honored to pray with you for whatever is happening in your life. You can call or text us at 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. If you enjoy Pastor Bill's messages, we invite you to join us for church this weekend too. We're excited to be able to welcome you back into our building for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Or come join us Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Find out more at our website, CalvaryEnglewood.org. Or join us online there if you're unable to come in person. While you're there, you can explore more teachings from Pastor Bill and find out about this ministry and others that are a part of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. That website, one more time, is calvaryenglewood.org. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to learn about the book of 1 Timothy right here on A Transforming Word.